The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 Podcast Network while you're at it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, back with you on another beautiful Monday here in Tallahassee, where the weather... It's kind of just been perfect the last couple of days over the weekend. Uh, as, as, as many in, in, in Tallahassee know, uh, Jeff Cameron, who, who runs a lo- local show as well, he, he, call, he calls it the football wins. Well, I think the football wins are finally upon us. We're getting to that sweet spot in the season uh, here in Tallahassee where uh, it feels like there should just be ideal football weather every day. Unfortunately... We don't exactly have the ideal football team to go with that weather uh, as Florida State drops yet another game to Louisville and now sits at 0-4 on the season. Uh, we, we're going to break down that game and everything that went on at Dope Campbell Stadium this weekend and a whole lot more in the entire world of sports. But first, joining me as always is my good friend and co-host Gabe Tisnes. Gabe, how you doing, bud? Luke, you know, another day, another dollar. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, football weather's here, but uh, FSC football is still... still we're still trying to find it. Speaking of Knowles, though, I mean, it, it had to have felt good as a Saints fan seeing all those off-season workout plans that Jameis was doing pay off on that miracle touchdown pass. All the salsa dancing, all the... That's right. It paid off with that huge heave into the end zone there. Saints get the win. How are you feeling about their about the Saints so far? You know, they're sitting at 2-1. and one. That's, that's what their record is, and we'll talk about what a record actually says about a football team, but... For now, I'm confident with them. I'm, I'm, I'm liking where they're at. You know, we're, we're tied with the Bucks somehow in, in their record. So, <laughs> you know, that, that can't be too bad. So, um, yeah, I mean, the the Saints, they're getting hit with a couple injuries here and there. And, you know, they'll have to, like, find their way to uh, keep it going. But I think you're, you're looking at a 4-1 and one start heading into the bye week on, on, on week six. So we'll that, that can't be the worst thing in the world, can it? We'll see. It's the NFL. Anything can happen. And I guess the Bucks and uh, our, our Bucks and Saints are both looking up at of all teams, the Carolina Panthers, 3-0 and in the division. I so, forgot. So we, we shall see how that plays out. Uh, also joining us on the panel tonight, William Hayes, back for his second show, I believe, all time. Uh, William, how are you doing, bud? Great to be here, Luke. I love every opportunity to be a part of the show. <laughs> awesome. I know you're, you're a Tampa guy as well, so we got to see the Rays clinch the AL East over the weekend. Just talk about that and, and what has been just an incredible season so far for the Rays. It's great to see how they continue to do what they do with all the all the odds, all the cards stacked against them. 97 wins tied for a franchise record. They've got a chance to break it, go for 100, and make some noise in October. Yeah, certainly something. I mean, part of, part of me is excited, but part of me is, you know, it's business as usual. Ho-hum, another American League East uh, title won by, what, seven or eight games now? Same same thing as, as last season there. Uh, we're going to break down a whole lot more with, with Major League Baseball's final week getting underway starting today with some great matchups. Uh, and then finally rounding up the panel, Max Escarpio. Welcome officially to V89. I know this is your first time. Uh, you've been on the show before, but this is your first time in the studio, correct? Yeah, yeah. happy to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Usually I would uh, call in for a corona on my phone for like 30 minutes, so it's cool to be here. 
Yeah, well, we're glad to have you. Uh, also, shout out to Scott in the production booth, as always, making sure we sound our best. Uh, and also Sebastian Angeliano, uh, kind of overseeing things. He's sprinting around the studio as we speak, trying to get everything in order. So we always appreciate their contributions there. But, fellas, let's get right into it. Just as we did last week, just as we did the week before and the week before that, uh, we have to start off with Florida State and their performance over the weekend. They fall to Louisville uh, 31-23. FSU falls to 0-4 for the first time since 1976. Uh, FSU trailed 31-7. They Louisville kind of jumped all over Florida State. I believe it went touchdown, 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 field goal, touchdown on five consecutive drives for Louisville to start this game. FSU gets down 31-7 to before shutting out Louisville in the second half and, and coming up just short 31-23 with a last-second chance to, to, to maybe tie the game there. Um, but, Gabe, I'll start with you. This FSU team falls to 0-4, but I'm going to take the, the other approach in that I was actually encouraged by a lot of what I saw, especially in that second half. But even in the, in the waning minutes of the first half, uh, you sort of saw a switch flip, at least for the defense, and, and the offense eventually got theirs as well. Uh, but what's your overall takeaway from what is yet another loss for Florida State and what seems like a season where we're going to see potentially 10 or 11? Tallahassee, I, I have nothing. I, I have nothing once again. No no joy. Uh, I tried it last week. I tried the reverse jinx. It did not work. And this week, it, it does not look as promising either. So, you know... I'm very encouraged by Mike Norvell's press conference. I think it's it's probably the highlight of the season so far, uh, his press conference today. So, in, in all seriousness, no, I think there was some some good things in the second half. It was definitely a tale of two two halves for FSU on Saturday, and you know it, it depends on which camp you're on. If you're in the Mike Norvell side, if you're a believer, then you know you're probably going to take that away and and you know do with it what you will. But the reality is, you're an you're an own four team. That's what you are, and, and I think the team has been in a position to win several times. They've literally outgained their opponents three times in the four games so far, including Notre Dame. So it's not that they can't be in a position to win, but the FSU football team does not know how to win. They're either too young or they're just one of the worst historically situational football teams. And whatever the case is, how is this going to get better next week? How is it going to get better against Syracuse at home? It's probably going to be one of their last chances to beat an ACC team and, and get some sort of credibility going into year three of Mike Norvell. And, and you know, there's still talent on the team, so there's hope for for the future. But for now, FSU fans are just left to suffer, and there's a reason why you saw a way, way less uh, decrease when it comes to fans in the stands on Saturday, mm. which is just depressing for, for FSU fans considering this is Bobby Bowden's tribute season. So... I, I, there's highlights. There's players that I'm, I'm, I'm still hopeful for in the future. But right now, there is nothing I can really say uh, that's positive about this this team. Yeah, I, I think you hit it on the head when, especially when you highlighted the the, the lack of fans in the stands. Now, now I do want to go to William here, real quick, because you were at the game. Uh, was that you know indicative of of what the crowd was like once the game got underway? Was it still pretty bare in the stands there? Before kickoff, I mean, during all the fanfare and things that went on, I, I thought it, the crowd was really dead from, from the start. Obviously, the second half even more so. I thought the building overall lacked energy. 
And you understand it with an 0-3 start and a loss to Jack State, uh, it's it's rough for everybody. Yeah, I I feel like that's kind of become a, an overarching theme the last like the last couple seasons. You're gonna get at least one of these games every year where someone's gonna take a photo of Dope Campbell Stadium when it's empty, and they're gonna be the laughing stock of the ACC. But but the difference is, I feel like in the past it's been against either an FCS team or a Group of Five team or or someone like this is a huge ACC matchup that Florida State kind of. You know, it was a pick at the start. Some some people had Florida State favored in some cases. Like, this was a huge game for Mike Norvell to get his team right against. And to see the lack of energy in the, in the building leading up to it, you could sort of see where it was going when Louisville decided to jump all over him in that first half. Uh, Max, how can you explain yet another slow start for this Florida State defense? With I Louisville mean, just jumping and taking advantage of Florida State. I think the worst thing that came from the defense was that I saw the whole game where you'd see a third and seven or a third and nine, and what we saw after the game was nine third down, um, if nine third down completions, yeah. Yeah. which just kills your team, just kills your defense. I saw some good things from the defensive line from Keir Thomas, uh, Jermaine Johnson got another sack, um, which it just keeps building up from next year. Um, Jamie Robinson had a good defensive outing he did good in the run defense but again our cornerbacks just weren't there Travis Jay had probably another open so he just takes off and obviously with with his injury situation not going to get very far the receivers creating no separation uh, against the defense even in man-to-man coverage and the offensive line not giving much help either yeah but Gabe at the on the flip side what it, what is so infuriating about what happens in that first half Against Louisville, where I think Louisville started off eight of nine on third down, third downs. I want to say it was some crazy yeah. stat like that. Well, then Florida State proceeds in the second half to lock in and force I think eight straight three or not eight straight three nights, but eight straight punch by Louisville and get them back in the game. So I'm wondering from your perspective, like how 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 much longer do we have to bear Florida State getting off to these incredibly slow starts? On both defense and offense, because you know it is a compounding factor. You don't get down thirty-one to seven by one side of the ball being off to a slow start and the other being off to a fast start. Like both of them have to hit that sweet spot of just not caring in the first half, to, uh, not caring about attention to detail uh, when it comes to the, the scheme and operating within it. Uh, how much longer can Florida State and Mike Norvell put up with these slow starts before real action needs to be made? Well. They were 9 of 18 on third down, Louisville will. So if they started off 8 of 9, that means that they were one of whatever. They were 50% on third down. That is ho- that is horrible. And if you shut them down the second half completely, that means the first half was just absolutely atrocious. So I don't know what it is that Mike Novell is saying before the game, what these what these coaches are saying before the game, but it's also down to the players. Like Like, like how can you go out there? Before a game, knowing that your, your your coach is on the hot seat, everyone's watching, everyone's criticizing you, and you come out this flat, it, it does not make any sense to me. And uh, once again, I don't have any answers. I all I gotta say is they need to figure it out because it, it's it's getting really bad. You're looking at a winless season. Uh, that's just unacceptable for Florida State, and it's just incredible because it's it's there's still players there that are performing extremely well. There's yeah, a few Jermaine of them. Johnson's playing his butt off. Like there, there are positives to take away, even from a game like this. Jermaine Johnson has six sacks through four games. He is doing all he can, all he physically can, which tells you a lot. Uh, Trayshawn Ward and Jay Sean Corbin are doing all they can. 
and, and yet, and yet you see how bad this team is, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Luke. Yeah, it, it puts, you know, pundits and, and everyone who covers this team and talks about it for a living and, and sort of breaks down this football team and its, its psyche right now, it puts them in a precarious position, Will, because you try to find positives on this team, and like you look at the stat line, like you can ab- you can absolutely point. Like Jayshon Corbin has 159 yards. Uh, Treshawn Ward goes along with 50. Both of them really productive. But you mentioned it when we were talking about how much you can, r- how much stock you can really put in to performances like that when when it seems uh, among many that Louisville kind of backed off the dogs in the second half. Started like as any team probably should started playing a little more prevent defense, not taking. As as much of an aggressive approach in order to 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 stay ahead like that, uh, what do you take? Away, like, how can you sort of parse through that situation of of balancing between, oh FSU, there are some positives to take away, but at the same time, like realizing that Louisville kind of backed off a little bit. Well, you look at all the all four games this year. It seems the only time Florida State is able to move the ball and put points on the board, it's it's smoke and mirrors. It's fooling people. It's doing what's not expected. Louisville taking a, a 31-13 lead into the second half. Obviously, they're playing pass, and you know this offense doing what's not expected. They run the ball. You get a 75-yard touchdown run. I understand, you know, fans. You want to take something away positive, but like you said, I do think Louisville called off the dogs as Wake Forest did last week. They're playing pass. Yeah, it's it's really really frustrating to watch. Max, I want to get your opinion on that as well. Um, just any any positives that you could take away from the offense in the second half, despite the fact that Louisville was playing pass. I mean, the only positives I take on the offensive side are probably from our run game. Yeah. I really like what Jason. I mean, Treshawn Corbin has done this season. We've seen a Corbin just like his electric plays, and they cut, they bring us back in the game. But our pass game, even though it was better than the in the second half. It's kind of like our offensive line just is just deteriorating, and when Mackenzie Moton gets out of the pocket, it's it's over. Like yeah, I mean, f- you saw I, that play where he tripped too, or he throws it out of bounds. Y- like you're getting you're getting about like two or three of those every game where Mackenzie Milton's legs are clearly failing him, and he's he's incapable. You like, can see he, that he's scared to get hit too. Yeah, it's it's not it's not I don't like blame the, him. it's not like the turf monster or anything like that where players are just like I think there there's there's something and and rightfully so with with how he's come back against her. like there's something wrong there where it's it, his feet seemingly just give up like you can tell that he wants to make a move he wants to be able to scramble out of the pocket or something like that and his legs just aren't allowing him. He's also going out of the pocket though and trying to find these receivers and they're nowhere to be found. They yeah, can't get that's open. that's another thing to touch on is the fact that Florida State. Once again, not getting a whole lot of outside production from their receiving group. It's it's mainly been the running backs. Uh, Gabe, I know you wanted to touch on it a little bit. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on the the field position game because it's something that FSU has also struggled throughout the season. And and Keyshawn Helton really messed up this game because it was at least twice where I saw him that he didn't feel the punt, he didn't receive it, and because of that, Florida State lost about twenty yards. If you're losing 20 yards and you're struggling on offense, that is down to special teams, which is down to coaching. So once again, I I don't know how much stock I can put on the the team actually outgaining the other team, and and, and all these little good performances. And 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 for the matter of fact, FSU finally lowered their their penalty total to four, which is the lowest in at least a year or two since 2017. Since yeah. 2017. That's there insane. you go. So you committed the least amount of penalties. 
and and you didn't turn the ball the ball over that much, and yet and yeah, the Milton interception was the end of the game. Yeah. Other than that, I think they were they went turnover less That's compared right. to the six last last week. You don't turn the ball over that much. You're you're playing good, disciplined football, but you're struggling on on the money downs, which is what really matters. That's situational football. You're not getting anything done in the first half, so you're having to come back from from behind in the second half. You're in a hole. That's not a recipe for success, and there doesn't seem to be improvement. Last week, I talked about the offensive line. They didn't mess up on, on penalties. This week, six sacks. There's just no consistency. I don't see the team getting better, but I got to talk about the press conference. I was really inspired by Mike Norvell, and it might be his best quality to talk about when it comes to, like, he can actually, like, go up there in a press conference and, and handle the media well. That's something that any FSU coach needs to have in order to have success. I get that, and he's good at recruiting somehow, but but when it comes to coaching, he's still he's still laying the foundation. So maybe in a year I'll be wrong, but right now <laughs> I'm not a believer. Well, yeah, we we've talked about it before. Mike Norvell is not getting fired at the end of the season. He like he will financially speaking, he is going to have to have another year. Like Florida State cannot afford to be firing another head coach, both financially and the the the, the PR nightmare that would be. Uh, having another coach fired before they finish their third season, uh, Will I, I want to get your opinion on the press conference and how like at what point does that stop becoming Mike Norvell's saving grace? Being able to command a room like that when clearly on Saturdays he's not able to to, to have his team ready to play, as evident by another just blowout start by Louisville. You can't keep going back to the well too many times. Uh, he's he's going to run out of luck eventually. You, at some point, you do need to start putting up results. I think. Anyone that's familiar with Coach Norvell, that's probably his best strength is that that, that public speaking, that inspirational speaking ability. So uh, he comes after an 0-4 start with that press conference. Uh, it, it reminds you that we could be headed in the right direction, but we got to start seeing results at some point. Yeah, cer- certainly true. I, I, I will say, aside from results, Florida State's 0-4. There's only so much we can do to talk about what it's going to take for Florida State to win, you know? I think we're past the point of talking about wins and losses and more just trying to see how they develop. I think with this game, if you're going to take any positives away, you're going to be able to take the positives from this game away next week when they come out. You know, you end you end a game like that on a, on a um, positive on, note. On a positive note, they they outscore Louisville sixteen nothing after they get down uh, twenty or thirty one seven thirty one thirteen. Bad math there, but anyway, they they dominate Louisville in the second half and almost mount a comeback. What I'm looking to see next week is do they start out like does all that momentum just go away just because you're 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 playing a new opponent with who's game planning against you or do we see some of that same momentum some of that fire from the defensive side some of that attention to detail in the running game uh, from the offensive side in the, in against Syracuse Max I mean I feel like we would like to but <laughs> this could have happened against we could have taken positive notes after the Notre Dame game look what happened after that we could have taken positive notes after a couple games so I mean I'm not going to be too excited for this game I'm not going to say oh they're going to come out and and ride through their second half performance because I haven't seen it yet this year so yeah I, I do I do think there's there's a difference between like being able to take out positives from a game and and claiming moral victories like a lot of people did during Notre Dame. there's there's a fine line to to, to tote there uh, I, I just worry I just worry that you get too many of these performances in a row where they come out slow. Like, if this happens every single game throughout the season, you're going to have no one showing up next year. You're going to have absolutely no one buying in 
to this program from the inside or the outside because it's just getting tiring at this point, Will. I agree. I think one thing, even if, if the wins don't come in a great amount, just, just finding a good balance of energy. I think we've seen the last three weeks, they start out flat, no energy, really slow. And then the second half, they start to creep back into games. Maybe the defense makes a big play, say a tackle for loss, and they're all busy celebrating. They don't get lined up for the next play. So, so being more even keel, starting out strong, but also finishing strong, that's the next step for this team. And you know, Maybe they're a second-half team. Maybe they're second-half-season team. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, if we're, if we're going to talk... With the, uh, not with the schedule we have. <laughs> who knows? I mean, Clemson's 2-2. Two and two. <laughs> Nobody knows anything. Clemson might be the worst offense that they face for the rest of the season, the, the, the way they're looking right now. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about Florida State beating Clemson right now. Uh, just a couple more things about the Florida State game. Mackenzie Milton, I think there's actually a conversation to be had about where to go with Milton and Travis for the rest of the season. Uh, Mackenzie Milton's got eight games potentially left at Florida State, and he's 0-4 he's so far this season. He has another you know 15 QBR game, not the most inspiring because of his mobility or the outside receivers. That's to be determined. But at one point during an 0-4 season, do you, do you have to make the turn towards someone like Chubba Purdy or go back to Jordan Travis to try and get some sort of... Uh, development from the, the inside of the program moving forward into next year. Do you think Mike Norvell has to make that decision this year? Uh, I think that's that's going to be his calling grace. At the end of the season, you will have seen a lot of Chubba Purdy, or, or at least enough to, to get you excited about next season because obviously McKenzie's not going to last. And, and Jordan Travis, <laughs> injury prone, still haven't really been, developing, been developing the the passing game enough. So it, it's it's just a travesty to... to, to to have to be in this conversation every week, I'm rooting for for these guys. But Mackenzie hasn't shown enough. He hasn't shown enough, and and there's nothing better than the new shiny toy. There's nothing better than the the hope of the future, and I think that's what Chuba will provide at some point this season. I don't know when that's gonna be. I'm I'm kind of hoping it'll be sooner rather than later because I I'm I feel bad for Mackenzie. I really do. I feel bad for him because it's a, it's a terrible position for both. FSU and Milton to be in it's the way that this has started out. It's a terrible marriage. Nobody's happy. <laughs> but 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 th- that's my point. Is I don't think it's they're they're not happy from a, from a lack of wanting to. I just think it like the circumstances with Milton. FSU might have overestimated what Milton was going to be able to do fully when he got back from his injury there. Milton probably overestimated a little bit the impact that he was going to have on a Florida State roster like this with the outside receivers. And it's kind of just that point where Milton is a stopgap, Will. But how much longer can can Mike Norville afford to have a stopgap in there when you're trying to develop a program and develop a quarterback room uh, with the main guy leading the way? Who might who, uh, not might not be there? He's not going to be there next year. What do you do in that instance? At zero and four, there's no point in in continuing this win now approach, which is what bringing in Milton as a transfer was. Yeah, he doesn't fit the structure of this offense to have a pocket guy stand stand back there and find open receivers. Well, guess what? There are no open receivers. You got to get someone out on the edge, make plays. Jordan Travis can do that. He's got two years left of eligibility, but with his offensive line, there's there's health concerns. And then you look at the guys behind him, Tate Rodemaker and Chubba Purdy, four games into an 0-4 start. The fact that they haven't played this season is damning. It says a lot about them. So we'll see if they play later down the line. But Chubba Purdy, not impressive in any way in his freshman season a year ago. But I think it also has to say something about how, how are you going to get these these young guys in there in, in this position where they're 0-4. You can't always 
throw the young guy into into the walls and just expecting to to do something i think it's gonna have to be mackenzie Milne and jordan travis figure something out they they stabilize the ship a little bit enough and then by the end of the season you'll actually see the the transition into the younger guys and, and just to get them some reps to i mean it could just get to the point where they're winless and and they're so desperate that they actually throw them into the wolves but i don't think that's going to be the case I, I'm kind of with Will on this in that I think we would have already seen him if they were ready. Chubba Purdy, of course, it's been well documented, the injuries that he's had, you know, taking time away from the program a little bit last year going home. I I, I honestly think it comes from a, a, a lack of trust with Mike Norvell right now and being able to put him out there in actual game situations. Uh, Max, I, w- I want to get your opinion on it as well. Like, where does Mike Norvell go with the quarterback room here? Where, when do we start to see maybe a change in that room? I mean, to me, it looks like there's really kind of no confidence with Tate. We've seen Tate. We've seen Chuba. I know a lot of people are still calling for Chuba, but I haven't seen anything crazy that I I say put him in or do something like that. Right now, I would say, on obviously if he's healthy, ride with Jordan Travis. Obviously, he hasn't had a great season, but. To me, he's just a dual-threat quarterback that can do more for us, and he's not leaving next year, aside from, like, Milton. So I'd ride with Jordan Travis. I know a lot of people want to see Chuba. We're not going to see Tate because we're, we just – I don't even want to see Tate. I know a lot of people <laughs> want to see I know some people want to – I mean, I've seen him in practice. I've seen some people talk about him, and there's just not – there's no confidence yeah. in what he brings to the table. I don't have confidence, but I do still have confidence in Jordan Travis and what he can do. So, I mean, if he's healthy, ride with him. Yeah, A lack of confidence, that seems to be a, a main theme of a lot of, of Florida State players and, and their development under the last two coaching staffs here. Uh, really quickly, before we end the first half talking about Florida State, uh, quick picks for, for Florida State hosting Syracuse next week. Gabe? I'll, I'll go with FSU. I'll go with FSU. <laughs> <laughs> FSU finally gets it done? FSU finally gets it done. They get it done 36-30. 36, that's kind of steep there. Uh, Will? I think it's going to be a low-scoring affair either way. Neither offense has much going in their way. Uh, just for the sake of, of rooting for it, I'll go, I'll go Florida State in a close one, 26-21 Knowles. 26-21, Max? Yeah, oh, we're going to go 28-20 Knowles. 28-20 Knowles. Well, Knowles are going to sweep the board here. I think FSU gets it done as well. This is literally Mike Norvell's last stand in a favorable ACC matchup here uh, for a while before they go on that murder's row of North at North Carolina. They play Clemson. They play NC State. Like this, this is the game. Well, Louisville was the game last week that you kind of had to get. Syracuse is the is the next one up. You kind of have to get if you want to win an ACC game this year because it doesn't get any easier. I'm going to go Knowles 23-20. Final from Doak. Florida State finally gets their first win. We shall see. Uh, I believe it's a 3.30 kickoff yes. on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yep, live from Doak Campbell Stadium. So we will see on Saturday if FSU gets it done for their first win of the season. That'll do it for the first half of Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We will be back in just a second. All right, we are back here for the second half of Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Wrapping up our... our FSU talk, you know, coming off a loss to Louisville there. Certainly not what what anyone was expecting to start the season there. But looking across the country, I don't think a lot of people were expecting another team 
to start off the year as, as poorly as they have, and that's the Clemson Tigers. Clemson falls to 2-2, two and two, an upset overtime loss on the road to NC State, who has a loss of their own, but they, they were looking promising to start the season with a couple big victories there. Uh, Clemson, Left for dead? Like, is, are, are we pronouncing Clemson dead right now? No chance of the playoff. I, mean, I, I think we're. I'm. I'm confident in saying that they're 25th, right? They're they're 25th right now, but more so like they're two oh. and two in the ACC. Oh, so for far. sure. No, they're not making the playoffs. That the, there's things I learned this weekend. I th- I learned that Evanescence uh, "Wake Me Up" song it has some <laughs> Christian lyrics, and, and I learned that Clemson's not making the playoffs, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> as well as Ohio State, and you know. For Florida State's struggles, you can say that Texas A&M and, and Clemson lost. So there you go. That the, the, certainly they can take pride in, in Jimbo and Dabo losing on the same weekend. There, uh, Will Clemson. What I mean, what can you point to that is going on? Is it solely on DJ at the quarterback position, or, or you know they say that dynasties don't fall gradually; they they end quickly like that. Are are you concerned about the long term? value of Clemson going forward as a program based off the start of the season or is it just, like did they just happen to get un- un- unlucky in in the luck of the draw this season with with their quarterback situation as far as Clemson is concerned I, I would there is cause for concern lack of creativity with this offense I think Dabo Sweeney mm-hmm. and company got so used to having Trevor Lawrence back there uh, Travis Etienne all those wide receivers that they could just throw it around and blow out teams DJU yes he has underperformed but the lack of creativity in this offense, you're not going to win ACC games this year, it looks like. This offense has been absolutely dreadful. Yeah. Dan, I, I, I know Dan Orlovsky mentioned that. He was, he was going off on Dabo for the, the, their offense being in the Stone Age uh, <laughs> nowadays and getting lucky with Trevor Lawrence there. Uh, Max, real quickly for, for you, it, like going forward for the ACC, it is disappointing. I, I think even more disappointing for Florida State fans to, to kind of wrap their head around this 0-4 season when they look at the ACC and they realize, like, this is the worst ACC the ACC has been in a while. There's no real front runners. There's no real uh, huge team that, that Florida State is going to lose to no matter what, and yet they still find themselves 0-4. Uh, just talk about a little bit about the, the, the state of the ACC with Wake Forest potentially being the best team in the conference. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to make noise in the ACC, this was the year, and this is the year that a lot of teams are just – like slowly backing up, uh, but to me, what I saw from Clemson, I only saw a couple of their highlights after, but I haven't seen horrible QB play from DJ. What I've seen is their offensive line hasn't been too great, and their running back room, just like we said before, Travis was there for, what, three or four years, mm-hmm. so they just got so comfortable with him. They have a freshman running back right now, so it's just what he what Will was saying before is they got way too comfortable but to me, it's not DJ's fault. It's an unhealthy offensive line, and they're young. They they just don't know what to do right now. I'm guessing. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think NC State caught them at the perfect time with them still going through their offensive struggles. It has been refreshing to watch just over like the entire landscape of college football this year. Kind of just the the renaissance season as I've been pressing. Uh, you see A and M, another top ten team, go down to Arkansas who's had a phenomenal start to their season, Gabe. Uh, I think it's just the, the, the perfect script has been laid out for college football this season with a bunch of really, really elite programs that have made the college football playoff in the past uh, struggling to, to kind of get their feet under them to start the season. 
And then you have the huge guys in Alabama and Georgia who look, well, not as much Alabama, but Georgia looks absolutely unbeatable this season. Uh, how excited are you to see how the rest of this college football season plays out as we get, like, I don't want to mention it because I know it's going to make a lot of people freak out, but we're already a third of the way through the college football season. It brings a tear to your eye a little bit. But as we get into the the, the, the second third of the season, uh, how, how excited are you looking uh, looking at uh, the elite teams to, to kind of make their, their point. This is probably as excited as I've been for the playoffs in my time watching college football because you don't really know what's going to happen. You, you know that there's a couple teams that are probably going to make it, but there's a couple teams that are looking to surprise everyone, including Oregon, Oklahoma, and, and, and the list goes on. Maybe Cincinnati, who knows? And so as a, as a neutral fan, because obviously FSU <laughs> is not going to do anything, I, I'm really excited to just watch good games, watch good players go out there and compete, and not watch the the usual games, the Clemsons and the Alabamas. Not that that's bad, but I, it's gone boring for me. So, yeah, and, and like also Clemson's getting injured a little bit, so that's just gonna pile up for them. So there's I don't see how Dab is gonna be able to fix this this year. Maybe this is where the dynasty starts to fall out, and, and next year we'll we'll be able to see the ACC still being competitive. Maybe they'll come back. Who knows? The the one thing I'll say about b- pronouncing Clemson dead and and anyone who's like, oh well, n- you know Nick Saban's lost a regular season game and Nick Saban's never lost two games in the regular season like this when they were pronouncing Alabama dead. They usually made a huge run towards the end of the season and made the playoff. This is I I think there are real causes for concern in Clemson and, and their wins weren't even that that good anyway. So no no the, like even against Georgia Tech they almost they could be potentially one and three to start their season. It's it's tough to think if you're a Clemson fan there. Uh, really quickly as we wrap up the college football talk, uh, Will, I think another huge huge aspect of this season and, and some new teams being thrown into the fold, we get to see all new environments. Like Eventually it got really boring seeing you know Clemson go through their ACC tour every year. Like Clemson at Louisville. Like there, there were a bunch of games where they would just storm through different opponents. This season we have all new teams, all new atmospheres, including one in Athens this weekend, college game day is going to be there. Uh, Arkansas, Georgia, two undefeated teams, and yet Georgia's still an 18-point underdog. Really, I want to get your read on that game, if, if Arkansas has any shot of pulling off an upset there. To me, uh, under K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback for Arkansas, not very impressive just overall. I think, you know, we're all Florida State fans. We understand. If you want to get an idea of how good this Georgia defense is, Jermaine Johnson could not crack the starting lineup on this defensive line. That's how dominant they are. Maybe the best unit in college football, Georgia's defense, uh, they have a chance to steamroll the eighth-ranked team in the country and really establish themselves. Yeah, certainly something to look forward to. I, I, I think Georgia at home probably rolls there, but we shall see. Uh, moving on to NFL talk a little bit, though. Week three in the books. Really, really exciting slate of games that we had this last weekend. It capped off last night. By the Sunday, another Sunday night thriller. We had Chiefs Ravens last week that we talked all about on the show, uh, with some individuals comparing Lamar Jackson to Taysom Hill. Don't think that's going <laughs> to hold up, especially after we we saw both of those guys on, on Sunday there. But uh, this week we get Green Bay on the road in San Francisco in an absolute thriller. Uh, Green Bay with 37 seconds left. Aaron Rodgers, of course, takes Green Bay down the field and wins the game on a game-winning Mason Crosby field goal. Uh, Gabe, how many times, how many times does Aaron Rodgers have to break these teams' hearts before we realize that you can't leave him more than one second left on the clock? As soon as I saw that the 49ers scored the touchdown, I said, oh, they'll have too much time. And, and it's a shame because 
you know, you would think. 36 seconds and having a pretty av- above average defense in San Francisco and they still couldn't hold down Aaron Rodgers. That's how good he is. But, I mean, the Packers, they're still they're still working things out. I don't, I don't see them as a real threat in the NFC. Um, really? Yeah, I really don't. I, I don't see them for Super Bowl, obviously. I mean, obviously, they're, they're probably content for the, AFC, uh, the NFC North, but there's just too many issues uh, in the offensive line, and, and Aaron Rodgers, he's, he's dramatic. He, he'll find a way to, <laughs> to blame somebody else, and he's, he's super talented, but I don't see him winning this year. So, you know, it's good that the regular season will be, will be something that they, they can, you know, pump their chests about, but for now, I, I don't see the Packers as a threat. Sebastian Andriano tuning in, chipping in here a, a little bit. I, I know, Sebastian, you had some opinions on that late-game clock management by San Francisco there. I, I, I do. Um Green Bay is on its knees. Uh, Green Bay, you are in Green Bay's red zone. Um, a scoring drive is all but guaranteed. Um, a, a touchdown drive is guaranteed. And I want you to wind back the clock. I want you to look at week three um, of 2020. That was a contest between... Detroit and Atlanta. Detroit and Atlanta. Uh, same issue. You know, uh, Matt Ryan is in the red zone uh, with this team. You know, um, this team got its heart broken by... Actually, it might have been week four now that I think about it. Uh, by Dallas. Was Dallas in week two or week three? I'm not, I do not know, yeah. Sebastian. A- anyways, that, that fresh off the heels of one of the worst choke jobs we've seen Atlanta do, which is, an under, which is you know, something. You know, if we're talking about choke jobs in Atlanta and ranking them. But um, weeks after that, you know, Matt Ryan turns to Todd Gurley because he's going to hand him the ball and says, don't score. Don't score. And he, doesn't, and he scores uh, a touchdown when he should have just collapsed on the one-yard line. Same thing kind of happened today. And we were going back and forth earlier today in the, the laser lounge while we were talking about this in particular. Where, um, but ultimately, we both kind of come to the same decision where it's like they, they just didn't, they didn't do enough in the red zone. There's no way that Green Bay can control you in that space. And you can bully you. You have the assets to bully your way into, into the end zone. You have George Kittle, who can absolutely buy you three yards if you absolutely need three yards. Um, to to finish to cap off a scoring drive, uh, with what like nine seconds left on the clock. Uh, yes, this is a matter of Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is is a wizard when it comes to uh, you know generating um, scoring on uh, offensive drives. I don't. Th- I think that's completely disrespectful, honestly, to to um, to that Green Bay offense because him and um, Devontae Devontae Adams do what they want to teams. It does not matter who you have on the secondary form, except maybe if you're Los Angeles, maybe. Yeah. Um, they just they just do what they want, and they will will themselves to a um, a divisional round, I think, like easily. Yeah, um, I, I think they're clearly the team to beat in the NFC North. I I still find them to be contenders. I I just uh, think I would I would wholeheartedly agree. Would it not be for the hesitancy that I have specifically with uh, Minneapolis or Minnesota? Excuse me, I almost called it Minneapolis. Um, Minnesota is just so I don't know what Minnesota will get week in and week out, uh, but if we get the good Minnesota in week fifteen onwards, that team could make a deep run uh, because they also have assets. I just don't think Kirk Cousins is on the same level as Aaron Rodgers, and that's why I give the nod to Green Bay. I'm going to uh, go on a limb and say that Kirk Cousins is in fact not on the same level. <laughs> yeah, hot no, take alert! No. Hot take alert! Oh come on, you said uh, okay. If we're talking hot takes, you're going to talk <laughs> right, about right, you're going right. to talk about Aaron Rodgers completely dismiss him before the playoffs. Yeah, okay, but um. Ultimately, ultimately, fantastic game. Yeah. I, I, we've been spoiled for <clears throat> haven't we been spoiled for choice sure for Sunday night football? All right, let's move on to it. We're gonna get a good one next week too, as 
the team we're about to talk about, or one of the teams we're about to talk about, uh, an old friend visits his old uh, stomping grounds in New England. But uh, speaking of contenders, Will, in the NFC, the Rams make a huge statement in their stadium, packed house. This was kind of the game I'm, like, the Rams absolutely wanted this game, needed this game more than the Bucks. They end up winning 34-24, final from Los Angeles. Uh, what can you say about Matthew Stafford and McVay and the start that they've gotten off to? I think, you know, ever since the, the Rams moved to L.A., this is what the final culmination is of this form. Stafford looked a little nervous early on, which is to be expected with the environment and the juice that he got. But you saw him, you know, make that, that deep shot to Deshaun Jackson and uh, just throwing the ball around the yard against an absolutely depleted Buccaneers uh, secondary. But 34 points uh, against uh, the reigning Super Bowl champ, this is what this Rams team is capable of. Yeah, I mean, there was a clear, clear game plan, and I felt like it was the same one that we've seen from McVay against that Tampa defense the last couple of years. They're just going to throw it all around the yard. They're not, they're not even going to try to run the ball, and especially against a, a depleted Bucks secondary, uh, um, even more depleted Bucks secondary than we've seen in previous season against them. Uh, Stafford, once he got into a rhythm, there was no stop in that offense, and it does kind of rub salt in the wounds of a Bucks fans a little bit to see Deshaun Jackson actually enjoying himself and actually having success against the Bucks. There, uh, Gabe, though, this obviously is a huge statement by the Rams. They have to be your team. You're looking at to to be the favorite heading. I know it's week three, but they have kind of crowned themselves and they've earned the crown of of being that favorite coming out of the NFC, right? Moving forward. Oh, they sure have, and I. I... Somebody in the studio picked them to, to, to advance in the NFC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, they, they've looked spectacular. Sean McVay, obviously, uh, one of the best coaches in the league, and he's a wonder boy and all that. But Matthew Stafford, he was easily the missing piece for this team. And they still have a long way to go. There's still a lot of football to be played. But just the balance that they have with, with the weapons that they have on offense and the defensive line that they have. And, and Jalen Ramsey is sh- such a shutdown corner. It's one of those guys that you can actually, like, put on an, an the best receiver on the other team and just – leave them on an island these days. Um, so, I mean, the NFC West is so tough that they might not clinch the number one seed by the end of the year, which will be really important because there's only one number one, or one, there's only one bye week uh, these days in the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually end up clinching it because I think home field advantage will be really crucial um, for whoever advances to the Super Bowl from the NFC side. I think the Bucks are still not out. I, I, I think this was just... Oh, they're, yeah. they're definitely not out. Yeah, but, but, I mean, it was a pretty... There was a gap on, on Sunday, and, and I think Absolutely. it was just that game. I think the Bucks will bounce, they'll, they'll, they'll bounce back, and, and they'll be in contention. I think Tom Brady will not just go quietly into the dark night. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the NFC plays out because there's, there's still a lot of good teams in there. Yeah. I, I think despite the records, I think the overall consensus, like those were the top two teams in the NFC on display at SoFi Stadium, uh, Will and Max. But do you looking at the Buccaneers a little bit more, do you have any concerns for them going forward in, in that defense and how it really hasn't had the juice that it had towards the end of last season there? I think really during that, that playoff run where they go into the Super Bowl, the pass rush that Tampa Bay had playing absolutely out of their minds with Shaq Barrett, Vita Vea clogging the hole in the middle, uh, also JPP <laughs> on the outside. It covered up a lot of those those holes. I understand uh, the Buccaneers' secondary is depleted now, but even at full strength, they're not that great. So it takes a great pass rush to make up for it. And Todd Bowles, his pressure this year has not quite been getting home, and uh, giving up 34 points is what happens when you can't get to the quarterback. Yeah. Max? 
just like you said, Todd Bowles, we haven't seen much from him and what he can do with this defensive scheme. But, I mean, they did have Murphy bunting out. They had another corner out. They had JPP out. So it's not like you can just count them out of this game if they didn't have those players. So I would say that with a healthy defense, we would see a more competitive game. And if I'm a Bucks fan, I wouldn't be worried at all. What I'm, what I'm most concerned about is the running game, though. I, I haven't seen anything from, from that side. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe – Ronald Jones will bounce back, but it doesn't seem like he's he's been the lead guy this year. Oh, and, and he he's clearly been in the doghouse yeah, a little he's, bit. He's seeing ghosts. So, <laughs> who who's gonna Giovanni Bernard? He's the one that's gonna be counted upon in January. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you you would count him to be the yeah. He had ten targets. He also was injured on a touchdown late in that game. So we will see how that play to to look forward to for a potential rematch either in the division round or, or conference championship. Uh, we shall see for that. But moving from one West Division to the other West Division, trouble in Kansas City. Kansas City Chiefs fall to the Los Angeles. Lo, I had to get that right. Los Angeles Chargers uh, in, in a last-second touchdown by the Chargers. Uh, Chiefs got a hail mary attempt, but it came up short. Kansas City Chiefs fall to one and two under 500 for the first time since 2015. If you can believe that, that seems remarkable. It's the second, I mean, after last week, it's the second loss Patrick Mahomes has ever had in September. Uh, kind of just a statement win from the Chargers, right, Gabe? Oh, oh Sebastian. We'll go with Sebastian. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna cut in here. So there's, there's a bit of an overreaction on, on, on both ends, I think. On one hand, um, that Kansas City offense is still spectacular. On the other hand, I don't think it was as spectacular as people hailing it as a dynasty two years in. Uh, and only one ring out of a an alleged dynasty. Um, it, it's funny because I'm calling a team overrated and underrated at the same time. Uh, funny how um, NFL reactionaries will be, myself included. Now, uh, what's their what's their schedule look like? Because uh, I mean, they, they play the AFC. I mean, they're in the AFC West with two three and O teams and one two and one team. I was like looking at their schedule now because yeah. I was thinking, oh, it's going to get easier for them. But they have the Bills. They have the they have the Eagles next the week, Eagles. so the there, there is like an opportunity for a bounce back. And they have the Titans and Packers within November and October. So, I mean, I I can't say it's going to get easier. I think it goes. I think it's it's win loss win win win, and then the next question mark is when they go back to divisional play. Honestly, with the Raiders. So what we're looking at is what a what was that like a six and three a seventh and three team. Or um or a six and four team. I, I can't count. Good yeah, lord, put me off four. the mic. Jeez. <laughs> but, uh... Okay. My takeaway is this: the Chiefs had four turnovers, y'all, and they were still in contention to win the game. Now, albeit they were at home, and yes, the Chiefs should not be in the situation. But I mean, do we really not think that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are going to figure it out? I, I I would I would disagree. I I think this team is way too good. They have too many skill position players that are going to put him in positions to succeed later down the line. And, and Patrick Mahomes is just that different kind of guy. He's not going to back down, and he's not going to lose the AFC West to the Raiders or the Broncos. Like, like come on. Am I, am I wrong here? I, I, I don't think you're wrong. Will? Um, there, there is a bit of a dark cloud hanging over this team right now with what's going on with Andy Reid. Uh I, I think they will figure it out. I think it's you never count out Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. He's just I think I think Andy did. I think he did leave the hospital healthy. I think that was the yeah. report today. Thankfully, mm-hmm. but yeah, I I don't know. I I I would say pump the brakes on anyone. You know, writing the Chiefs off for dead. The schedule does scare me a little bit. 
but overall, they just need to have more attention to detail. Like four turnovers isn't going to win you any game in the NFL. Like this, like I mean, we're talking a lot about the offense too and what Andy Reid and Mahomes are going to do. But what have we really seen from this defense? Yeah. And what have you really seen from this uh, running back position that has been probably absent for the past I don't even know how long. So we have Ceh who's hasn't been doing good. He's getting the carries, but he hasn't been having the production that they're supposed to have. And it seems like their defense can go out and they're they're not going to compete with many teams. This this reminds me of when the Broncos. I think they either. I think this was when they won the Super Bowl. Uh, they 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 were like two and three at one point, and then they just went on a run. Uh, I think this was when they actually lost to the Seahawks. I might be wrong, but whatever the case is, I think this is a, a scenario where the Chiefs are going to use all these losses because they, they lost in the Super Bowl, and now they've lost twice. So they've lost three out of the last four games. That That's outrageous. They're, they're literally last in the AFC West. They're, they're looking up at every single team in their division. Patrick Mahomes is going to light it up in the next couple of months. I, I, I don't see it any other way. Certainly something to look forward to. Uh, really quickly, though, what team stands out to you as as the like? Obviously, the Raiders and Broncos are both three and zero. Chargers two and one. What team are you buying the most stock in as as having that staying power at the top of the division, uh, potentially giving the Chiefs the most trouble? Are we buying into the Raiders or the Broncos? I would buy into the Chargers. I think Justin yeah. Herbert really establishing himself, really another version of Andrew Luck, has the cerebral aspect maybe of a Peyton Manning, but also some athleticism to go along with oh, it. Yeah. They bring in uh, Brandon Staley, the head coach, who was the D.C. Uh, for a Rams defense that played really well. They hold the Chiefs to 24, including, what, just three in the first half or, or something like that. So I, I think the Chargers at 2-1, and one, the AFC West is wide open, but I like the Chargers a lot. And they've had the talent. They, they've had the talent for years. Oh, yeah. This is a team that's consistently blown leads, kind of like the Falcons. They're not good situationally. So it might just be the turning of the tides, finally, with Justin <laughs> Herbert this season. I, I can see them definitely being in the playoffs but maybe even pushing the Chiefs to the brink of the AFC West even though I just said the Chiefs will definitely win it <laughs> um but yeah I, I see the Chargers as the best team in that division outside of the Chiefs the Raiders I, I they still haven't sold me they still haven't sold me because of what they did last year <laughs> they they seemed like they were gonna make it and then they didn't and, and it's because the combination of John Gruden and and, and Derek Carr for as above average as we want to call it they're not gonna sell me Josh Jacobs is injured and yes Peyton Barber had a good day but the defense can easily go wrong. They can easily go south any day. Uh, they don't have experience. They, I don't think they're, they're as talented as the Chargers. So for me, it's the Chargers right now, even though the, the, the Raiders are sitting at 3-0. Yeah. Well, coincidentally, we will see those two teams, Raiders and Chargers, next week on Monday Night Football. A, a huge slate next week that I'm very looking forward to. As we kind of wrap up the final minutes of the show, though, something else I'm looking forward to, we haven't talked a lot about it since early September when we were kind of prognosticating and and seeing where these teams were going to end up. But, ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the final week in the Major League Baseball season. One of my favorite times of the year, especially when we get to October, it is my favorite time of the year, postseason baseball. Uh, And looking at the spots that have already been locked up, we had three sort of over the weekend. Uh, The White Sox early in the week last week locked up the AL Central Division uh, against the, uh, the Cleveland Indians. And then over the weekend you had the Rays, clinching the American League East on Saturday and the Brewers clinching the Amer- uh, the National League Central on Sunday. Uh, the Giants and Dodgers have already locked up their postseason spots as the best two teams in Major League Baseball. Uh, but, Will, talking about the AL wildcard race first and, and what it's going to come down to this week, 
uh, I would say that the Red Sox right now it's it's I believe the Yankees have a one game lead on the Red Sox who have a one-game lead on the Blue Jays for that second wild-card spot. But you look at their schedules, the Yankees play the Blue Jays and the Rays starting on Tuesday. Uh, Red Sox play the Orioles in Washington, and Blue Jays play the Yankees and the Orioles. Uh, Which of those teams do you feel like, uh, it kind of jumps off the page to me, which of those teams has the hardest schedule down the the, the stretch that that might keep them out of the postseason, in your opinion? Oh, it would easily be the Yankees. I know they've won six in a row, seven of their last ten, swept the Red Sox and Fenway. But this is a, a Yankees team. When it unravels, it really goes. And I think there is a potential in these last six games for the Yankees to just fall apart and the Red Sox with their easy schedule to maybe host that wild card game. Yeah, we should. I mean, Boston, Boston was like a little bit resurgent. Of course, you had the yellow jersey thing last week. Like they were making a push, and then the Yankees just absolutely step on their throat over the weekend. I believe all three games the Red Sox had a lead. Maybe not on Friday. But at least on Saturday and Sunday, they had a lead late in that game, and John Carlos Stanton strikes uh, homers in all three games in, during the weekend, making a statement there. Uh, I'm looking at the Blue Jays. That is a that is the series of the year for those fans up in Toronto. They are absolutely going to get up for that, and then they finish with the Orioles, who have kind of given them trouble the last couple of times they've matched up against them. Uh, I think when it's all said and done, personally speaking. Uh, it's going to be the Red Sox and the Blue Jays in in that wild card game. Uh, really quick, if I could get a prediction from you. I, I would certainly agree with that. I just think with the way the Blue Jays have been playing, I would give the nod to them. They, they shored up the pitching. Robbie Ray, a legitimate contender for the American League. Front runner, front runner, some it, might say. In a one-game wild card, you, you obviously throw your ace, your best starting pitcher out there. Robbie Ray on the mound, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah. Certainly something to look forward to. Uh, of course, next week we'll have the entire postseason breakdown uh, as October rolls around in Major League Baseball. Uh, really quickly, though, and at least quick shot. I know Braves play the Phillies this week. They're two and a half out, uh, but the Phillies have all three of their star, their main main line guys, and Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Kyle Gibson going on the mound. Uh, any chance the Phillies give the Braves a run for their money and potentially sweep them? I say probably not. They do have this, those pitchers in in their in their favor, but uh, unless it's a sweep, they don't they don't have a chance. Yeah, we shall see. And then finally, Giants Dodgers, the unprecedented divisional race we haven't seen since 1993, when the Braves and, and Giants both won 100 uh, 103 plus games, uh, with the Braves obviously taking that division. Uh, who do you think in the end? Giants up two games now. You think they hold on against the the, the, the most talented team in the league in the Dodgers? <laughs> I think they do. Uh, they're a team that, that's played like a team all year. Anytime there's a team that's won 102 games with, with six to play and no one can really name any of the guys in their <laughs> roster, you know that they're playing really cohesively in team baseball. And obviously I would give the, the Giants the nod in, in that way. Yeah, I think it's like it's not like you can't name their players. You just haven't had to name them in a while. We've had huge resurgences from, of course, Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, Evan Longorio. Shout out to the Rays. Uh, sir, I... I We'll go ahead and, and, and side with you on that. Just because the Giants have owned the Diamondbacks this year, and they play them three times, and then they finish with San Diego, who they just, would, they just won two out of three from San Diego there. Uh, certainly something to look forward to this week for, for non-football fans. Major League Baseball is where it's at. Uh, but that is going to wrap up our show here on another Monday, September 27th. Uh, thank you all for tuning in and listening. Uh, shout out to Gabe alongside with me. Thank you to Will and Max who joined us in the studio tonight as our panelists. Uh, as always, thank you to Scott and Sebastian in the prod booth over there and for Sebastian's contributions on the show. Uh, from myself, Luke Hazen, 
This has been Tomahawk Talk, and you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.